0: I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start. Father, we want to thank you for the love that you have for all of us. Young, old, healthy, um, sick. Your love doesn't change. Grace is poured out on all of us. Your mercy is new every morning. And so, Father, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart is, is acceptable in your sight my rock, and my redeemer. Amen. 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 So, we're finishing up Hebrews chapter 13. Um, This morning, I must say, what we're going to talk about is probably PG-13 rated. And that's just kind of the way the, the text is moving toward. Because the author of the letter to the Hebrew church He's kind of finalizing his thoughts. He's he's kind of coming to a conclusion, and he he is making requests for the church to live in in these rhythms that are consistent with, with Jesus, consistent with living the gospel. And and here's the thing: like knowing theology, it's important, but it doesn't necessarily make you Christian. And being able to quote chapter and verse. Important things, but it doesn't necessarily make you Christian. Even showing up to church on a Sunday, important, but it doesn't necessarily make you Christian. Following Jesus makes us Christian. And all those other things are just part of following, but in and of themselves, they're not. Following Jesus, it's what makes us Christian. Living our lives in relation to how God has revealed himself in this book, This is what makes us Christian. This is what makes us a Jesus follower. And so the way we live, the way we live is important. God's grace is equally important. But cheap grace is dangerous. See, cheap grace is that thing that says, you know what? I can live any way I want. It doesn't matter because God is going to give me grace. That's cheap grace. And I would say if that's a person's attitude that they say they can live in any way, it doesn't matter, God loves me, he's going to give me grace. He's going to forgive me anyway, then you are not walking in the grace of God. And so it matters how we live our lives. Now the author understands that in order for the church, this little Hebrew church, which is going to come under some very big persecution, he understands that in order for the church to survive the storms of life, they have to be living in a way that's compatible to, to the gospel, to, to, the, to what Jesus has laid out for them. And so he will be giving some exhortations to the church, to the people, to individuals, to the community at large. Now, an exhortation is to strongly or, in a forceful way, encourage someone to do something. Because the way we live, it's important. God's grace is important. So let's, let's get into it. Hebrews Chapter 13, this morning we'll be looking at verses 4 through 6. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So I want to stop right there. A lot going on in, in one verse. It begins by saying marriage is to be honored by all. And, you know, we, we talk about the Greek word all. It means all, everyone the entire community. Marriage should be honored by all. Now, there was a movement that started to kick up um, first century, second century, and what this movement of people said was, if you wanted to be a very spiritual Jesus follower, then you were to maintain your virginity. And to maintain your virginity, that meant that you should not be married that you would not get married, and this was a superior spirituality. It was the pure spirituality. This is a movement that would later kind of develop into monasticism, where, where people would just kind of live separate, alone lives and, be, and abstain from, from everything. But during this movement, what they said was, if, if, you, if you wanted to be married, or if you were married, you were, you were settling for an inferior Christian life. Marriage began to be looked down upon by this, this sect of Christianity, by, by these people. It was a, a dishonoring. Don't settle for being married. You should strive for this thing. Now, on the flip side of that coin, there's a very, and it's always been this way, especially in the, in the pagan cultures of this day in Hebrews a very liberal idea of sexuality in marriage. And where marriage was this, it didn't really matter if you were married or not. And to have just one partner in intimacy, it was kind of just, you know, why would you do that? Why would you restrict yourselves? You, you, you couldn't really realize who you were unless there was this freedom that you, you had. And so these are the cultures that the church is, is kind of caught in between. Now, I would say the, the monasticism movement has kind of died down a bit, especially here in the West. But the other flip side, the liberal side of marriage and or sexuality is, is taking root in our cultures, in our society, around the world. It's not just America. A marriage is not necessarily required to be together in an intimate fashion. And so I, I use the word promiscuity, and, and, and I know that it has this negative con- context, uh, and our culture doesn't like to use it because it's more of a freedom. You know why? Why would we? Why would we limit ourselves in this way? And it seems that 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 sexual intimacy has become the norm before marriage, and not really the exception. And and that's this is this is just I, I'm just stating facts. This is what we, we find. And, and marriage almost has this—it's this, um, a secondary idea once people have kind of passed the we're living together test, and then we can be married. See, I guess it's very easy to break up a relationship if you're not married, and you realize after one, two, three, five years, well, this isn't the right person. And so we, the, there's, we move on. And so almost in our culture— Marriage also doesn't hold a place of honor. Half of all marriages will end in a divorce. Now for the Jesus follower, we're called to live differently. We're called to live in a very different rhythm. There should be a difference how we engage these ideas. Now, Genesis chapter 2 beginning of the book this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh God institutes this idea of marriage and it's something that's sacred and holy and not only is there a physical bond but there's a, a spiritual bond that takes place there and it's, it's important because it's covenants and God is big on covenants God is big on honoring covenants Jesus will say this. So they no longer, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let no one separate. Jesus is bringing the idea of marriage to a place to a place of honor. His first miracle that he that is recorded that he did. He changed the water to wine. He was at a wedding and the open bar ran out and Jesus reopened the bar. I mean, it's in the scripture. Gallons of good wine, not grape juice like some may think. Jesus held marriage to a, to, to a place of esteem. And as Paul writes in Ephesians, he likens our relationship as the church and Christ to, to a, a marriage. So the writer is saying marriage should be honored by all. Even a better translation would be, let marriage be precious to everyone. Now, please understand that we're going to have a lot of please understands as we move through this because I want to be very, very clear and I want to be very, very careful. Just as your spirituality is not inferior if you are married— Your spirituality is not inferior if you are not married. This is not saying you have to be a Christian to be married. This is saying marriage should have a place of honor within the context of the community. Let marriage be precious to us all. Whether you are married, whether you want to be married and you're not married yet, or whether you've chosen to not be married. There's nothing wrong with either of those three, and your spirituality is no less than from somebody who's married who somebody chooses not to be married. Please hear that. But what the writer wants us to do is honor it as something sacred and holy and special. Now he's going to push the envelope a little bit more. He says, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept... Pure. The word bed is kind of a, it, well, it is. It's a euphemism for sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. I told you, PG-13, there's no way around it. And so he's saying that this, this intimacy, this, as, as the Hebrew word do, the joining or the mingling of souls is taking place, that part of the covenants should remain pure, that part of the covenant doesn't mean that we get to go off and, and have multiple partners within the context of marriage. That we would, we would say, no, no, this is, this is pure. This is honoring God. This is a sacred, holy covenant between a husband and a wife. The marriage bed should be kept pure. Now, a brief study of, of history during this time You'll find writers outside of the church scratching their head at this, this Christian sect because they don't seem to take part in the casualness of intimacy as everyone else around them would do. And, and, and it was noticed like, wait, you don't, you don't step out on your husband or your wife? I mean, that just doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Why would you do that? And it's written about Christians not doing what the culture around them were doing. And church, we're still called to live in that way. We're still called to live within those principles. It matters the way we live. It matters how we live our life. We're called to stand apart from what the world would offer, from what the world would say is okay, and be, be different. Because then it, then it just gets, it pushes it a little deeper. It says, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral, So here's kind of what he's unpacking for us. And we're gonna get to a couple verses in a bit. Christian or non-Christian, we will stand before the judgment seat and our lives will be looked at and how we've lived our lives and the things that we've done, good and bad. And so he's speaking in the context of of marriage and, and adultery. And he's also speaking in the context of intimacy outside of marriage. Now, again, I want to be clear with this, because what he is talking about is a lifestyle choice. What he is talking about is, I have decided to live my life separate from what the word of God says. I know what it says. I know what God wants for me, desires for me, for my own good, And I have choked, I have made the decision to go, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to do this. I'm going to live in this way. It's a lifestyle choice. The unrepentant heart says, it doesn't matter. God loves me. I got grace. But that's cheap grace. It's a person not walking in God's grace at all. Now, If anyone has walked down that path, if anyone has committed adultery or what they would refer to as sexual immorality, and we're going to say just outside the context of, of marriage, you can come before the Lord with a repentant heart, seek his forgiveness and you will be 100% forgiven. That he will separate your sin as far as the east is from the west. He will remember your sin no more. There is forgiveness for those who come before the Lord with a broken and humbled heart and ask, please forgive me. Repentance is about turning away from one lifestyle and walking towards God into another one. That's repentance. So repentance isn't, ah, oh, God, I messed up again, but you'll forgive me, right? That's, that's not, and, and then going out and doing the same thing over and over again. No, no, that's, that's not it. Repentance is like, oh, I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe you need to put things around in your life that help you up, keep you pointed in the direction of how God wants us to live because it matters the way we live. It matters the way our lifestyle is. Look what Jesus, uh, Paul writes in Thessalonians. It is God's will, Now he's talking to the church, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable not in a not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know god and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister the lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we are as we told you and warned you before for god did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life therefore anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but god the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. You can argue with me all you want, but the scripture clearly says that when we reject this, we are rejecting God. The church is rejecting God. And then later, in his letter to the Corinthian church, for we, again, writing to the church, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We will all stand before the throne of Christ. And those who have rejected Christ said, nope, I do not believe, I do not accept grace, I do not accept what he has paid for on the cross, they will spend an eternity separated from him. But see, we don't like to talk about that we as followers, we're going to stand there and somehow, in some way, God's going to look at, he's going to read our mail and he's going to look at it all. And I know that we always like the love and the grace and that's good because there's abundant grace and love. But it matters the way we live. It matters how we live our life. It matters the things that we do. Repentance is prob- uh, unrepentance is probably the ugliest sin for a Christian to turn a cold heart against God and say, I don't care. I'm going to live my life this way. And you see, there's just, there's consequences to the decisions that we make. There's always consequences. I mean, like today types of consequences. The scripture tells us to flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. What Paul's saying is there's something about this that, that's an interior posture going on. It's something in the heart. It's something in the soul. It's much more than just a physical act out there. It's, it's, it kind of goes against something that's within us. And, and you know, adultery, it can ruin families. Even, even when there is humble repentance, and you know, like in somebody is like I, I've made a mistake, and there's forgiveness, and God has forgiven them, but there's a trust that's broken, and a trust that takes a long time to heal. You don't have to live with those consequences. And and um, intimacy outside of marriage can have consequences today. Abortion is used as birth control, disease. It's real. And then we just think about the guilt and self-hatred and shame, especially within the church, to say, oh, I'm a Christian, and look look at this. Look at what I've done. And they're not receiving God's forgiveness when there's real, real repentance. See, we're our own worst enemy, and our enemy is there to whisper in your ear, God's not going to forgive that. Who are you kidding? But there is forgiveness but you don't have to live with those consequences. Single parents, broken families. God wants to restore and build you back up and build those people back up. That's why I really appreciated what uh, Ellen did with Hope Pregnancy to come in and and we can be a safe place, a safe place for women and, and even young men to come here and say, yeah, we didn't do it right, but be a place of grace and mercy and healing because that's what God's in the business of doing, to heal and to, and to restore and put back together. He takes the, the, the broken pieces of our lives and he creates this beautiful mosaic with them if we just let him. But I'm here to say you don't have to walk down that road in the first place because there's forgiveness. You don't have to engage those consequences. So maybe you say, well, what's this got to do with the church? I mean, he is writing to the church. It has everything to do with the church. Again, this this whole uh, intimacy, sexual thing, when we're outside of what God calls us to, from a biblical perspective then we begin to have a hardening of the heart and soul. We begin to kind of separate from the Lord, from His Word, from community. And see, that's right where the enemy wants us. Ooh, if I can just get them away from that, I can keep them in bondage. They'll never know His freedom. And so as as the church see, there's two dangers here. The, the church can be passive and say, oh, it really doesn't matter. Or the church can be overly aggressive and poor and heap guilt on people. See, we want to be a church that's known. There's freedom from that. There's forgiveness from that. And that makes a difference in the community of faith. See, if we give in to what the world pushes then we become part of the world and we no longer stand separate from the world. And the church loses its voice, loses its credibility. You have been bought with a price. You have been wonderfully made in the image of the creator. We possess a great salvation. Don't dishonor it. By the choices that you make in life. Nothing else will rip a church apart than when leaders within that church fall prey to this sin. I've seen it too many times. Our enemy, we have an enemy that wants nothing more than to ruin the church. And he will attack. He doesn't care. And he will attack And I'm not just talking pastor. I'm talking elders. I'm talking uh, small group leaders. I'm talking Sunday school teachers. However he can get in, he'll get in. And we need to be aware of his ploy, his lies. And then with grace and mercy and strength in the spirit, say, no, we are going to live differently. We are going to honor marriage. We're going to honor ourselves because that's what God invites us to. And so now the author is saying, okay, here's this thing about marriage and sexuality and now he moves right into money. Sex and money. Yeah, this is the Bible. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, what comes to mind as I kind of read this and through this, the truth is that those who love the world, and what I mean by that is those who love and live for things and stuff and money and, and getting bigger houses and bigger cars, and, and, and they, all you do is work so you can have the best and the greatest and new stuff, They will be the first ones who turn from the gospel when things get tough because they want to keep the stuff. They want to keep all of the the trappings and the trimmings. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says this. He said, it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what he means by that is because... Many times, the danger of being wealthy and rich, you put your faith in your riches. You put your faith in what you can get, what you can earn, what you can purchase. And so it becomes about you, becomes about your prowess as a businessman or a businesswoman and how you can kind of gather things up, how you can grow your bottom line. And you lack faith and trust in God. That's called idolatry. When we raise something above God, We've, we are worshiping it before God. It's idolatry, and God takes second place. But Jesus says, you know, it's not impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven because all things are possible with God. See, it's the Lord who changes hearts. It's the Lord who moves people in different directions. Now, again, having wealth is not a bad thing. Someday I would like to give it a try. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> It's not a bad thing. But there are, there can be disadvantages within having a lot of money, a lot of stuff. Because you trust in it. When things go bad, you trust in it. And you turn away from the Lord and ultimately trusting him. When we have a lot of things, when things become our focus, when things become important, we lose focus on the things of God, on what he calls us to on the rhythms he asks us to live in. Jesus again said in Mark's gospel, he said, you know, there's a deceitfulness in wealth. And when the desire for other things come in, it can choke out the word of God and the word of God becomes fruitless. So not having, or or having wealth is, is not bad in and of itself. Now, maybe you're thinking, oh, silly, silly, bald man, Look around this room, do you see wealthy people here? Actually, I do. Compared to the rest of the world. Oh yeah. See, if you earn $12,000 a year. If you earn $12,000 a year, you are in the top 15% of the wealthiest people in the world compared to income. 12 grand. If you earn $30,000 a year, you are in the top 1.25% of the wealthiest people in the world by income. If you earn $100,000 a year, you are in the top 0.08% of the wealthiest people on the planet in regards to your income. So I look around and I say, yeah, we're pretty wealthy. If, say you own your house, you own your condo. If you have $10,000 equity in your home, in your, wherever you live, $10,000 equity. And if you have $10,000 of stuff, meaning everything that's in your house, everything that you own, whether it be you know, your bedroom sets and your living room set and your TV and your computer and your car. For many of us, we we scratch that 10 grand off of possessions with one of the cars that are in our driveway. If you have $10,000 equity in your home and if you have $10,000 worth of stuff, and so let's just say, and you got 25K in savings, You got it mixed up in some IRAs. You got a little stuff going on in the market. Maybe you got a little savings account, you know, the rainy day fund. And it all kind of adds up to about $25,000. 10K in equity, 10K of stuff, 25K in just savings because you're smart and, and, you know, you don't want to be eating cat food when you retire. I get it. Um, Then you are in the top 16% of the wealthiest people in the world. So I look around and I think, I look in the mirror and I say, I'm pretty wealthy. We're pretty wealthy. And the scripture says, are you content with what you have? Are you content? Be content. Because we're all pretty rich. Be content. Those who love money will never have enough money. Ecclesiastes chapter five says that whoever loves money will never have enough and whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with their income. That's the kind of heart that God God would say, you know what? I'm gonna give you the entire world. And that person goes, is that all? Contentment comes from the inside. It can never be It can never be achieved from the things that we can gather on the outside. You know, I've met some people with a lot of money and a lot of cool things. Like, I wouldn't say coveting because that's unbiblical, but there's a little jealousy in here. (laughs) And they're just crabby people. (laughs) Like, they got cool things. Why are you crabby? And then I've met people who have literally... Nothing. Now, I don't mean like, oh, you've got an iPhone six. Well, no, nothing. I mean, I mean like nothing. Dirt floor hut. Nothing. And they just don't care. And life is hard, but they smile. Many have no teeth because they have no toothbrush or paste. They have nothing, and there's a contentment. Now, flip side. I've seen some really rich people that love life and and, and are just amazingly beautiful and some poor people that are just downright crabby but I've seen it in the other way too it's not wrong to want to work hard it's not wrong to want to make uh, to, to, to do well in your job in your profession it, it, it's not wrong It's not wrong to want to even climb the corporate ladder and and to excel and exceed in what you do, become the best at whatever God has gifted you and talented you with to do. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you do it for the love of money and stuff, you will never be satisfied. That's what the scripture tells us. The foundation of contentment is God's word that says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? He will never leave us, rich or poor. He will never forsake us. He is our helper in all things, in all ways, in all situations. We really don't have anything to fear. What could the tax man do to you in the the scope of eternity? nothing we have nothing to fear Paul, Paul said in, in Corinthians he said I have nothing but I possess everything man I want that heart like I, I'm not there yet because I'm waiting for the new iPhone to come out but I want that heart I have nothing but yet I possess everything oh contentment right there. So here's, here's, my, here's my thoughts. Personally, I don't believe that things are going to get any better for the church in regards to church and culture, church and society. I don't, I don't care what government's in place, what political parties in place, who the president is or isn't. I, it's, it, I don't believe it's going to get better for us. Because as I read the Gospels, Jesus kind of said, it's going to get worse. It's going to get really, really bad. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to fix it all. But it's going to get bad. And so I don't think things are just like, are going to be like, Woo-hoo, We're we're a Christian nation again. Uh, I, we're not going in that direction. I don't think we're supposed to be. And so we, as the church, have to stop putting our hope and our faith and and putting all our eggs in the basket of human beings, of politics, of presidents, of senates. Our hope is in God and God alone. Period. And two things that will cause a church to lose its vitality, to lose its focus, are in the context when we take in the world's view of marriage, intimacy, and money. We're called to live differently. And I want to encourage you to live differently, generously. I was... (laughs) and, and I'm, I'm not like a prude um, but I was watching I don't know how I came across a Lady Gaga video and, and don't get me wrong like, like, lady, like she said some really good things that, that are that can really um, encourage people not to take any crap from the world but yeah in, in the same thing she had this video I don't know I love John Wayne or something I don't, I don't know what it was and I'm watching this I'm like oh my gosh are you kidding Like, it was just, I don't know what it was. Like, And I think back to, like, I Love Lucy, when they couldn't even be shown in the same bed in their pajamas. How far we have come. How far we have come. The church is called to live differently. Not for our, so we look like, or not having fun, or, or life is just horrible, but because this is the way God says, this is going to be a blessing to us. This is how we receive blessing, by walking in his ways, not our own, not the world's ways. And again, I want to stress this. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. If you've traveled down a road... That goes, that pushes against what God's perfect or his better path for you is, you can know forgiveness. You can be forgiven by saying, Lord, will you please forgive me? That's it. That's it. I don't have to slap you, dunk you, spray you, punch you, nothing. It's between you and God. You can be forgiven and restored and made whole. And and your story can just be part of this beautiful story that he's writing about reconciliation and redemption and, and, and putting things back together. That's our God is in the business of putting things and people back together, restoring and making them whole. And that's my story, that's my desire for, for all of us. That wherever we've been hurt or broken by our own sin, that we would come before the Lord and say, put me back together. Where else can we go? Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for grace. Father, I pray that those who are in need of your grace and mercy and forgiveness, they will come to you and seek it and be restored and be made whole. Thank you for community. Thank you for a grace-filled community that we can be agents of your love, and of your mercy. That we can share the good news of forgiveness and watch people be healed by being forgiven. We love you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.